Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host with Leadership. I am so pleased to have back in our studio Winston Lau, president of Winston Lau & Associates. Winston, welcome back. Thank you for coming well, back. Well, thank you for having me back. Darrell. We had such a great discussion last week on executive leadership and how you get folks to recognize their uh, shortcomings and how to make them more effective. So tell me a little bit more about your approach. You seem to be very wise, very low-key, uh, but very inspirational. What is what, what what is your technique to get folks to open up? Because in order for someone to improve, they gotta admit that they do something wrong, well, or they're doing or, something wrong, or, or they recognize there's an yes. opportunity for them. You know, if they do something differently, I guess there are many different ways we can uh, help people to to change, and many different coaches and many different styles. Some of them are very prescriptive. In other words, they're able to come in and tell you exactly what you're doing wrong and what you need to do in order to improve. Uh, I must admit uh, I'm not that smart a lot of times. I don't know exactly what the individual has to do because, I mean, although I have a general idea, uh, the real change really has to come from the individual. So what I try to do in a lot of ways is to help the individual to really change the way he looks at a situation. Sometimes it, uh, it's help him to, to realize what his belief system might be. And uh, for example, you know, uh, a, a, a leader who grew up being very successful in calling his shots and making things happen and so forth will continue to do that because why wouldn't he? He's been successful. Now, what happened is, you know, all of us will continue to do what has made us successful until we hit a failure. And then all of a sudden, this individual is promoted to a position now where he can no longer do that. You know, he has a whole team of people working for him, and he can no longer carry the ball by himself. So now he, it's a failure. He doesn't know what happened. Well, yeah, one way I can do it is come in and say, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to change. But it's very hard for him to change against the learnings that he has had up until that point. So the, easy, the better way to help a guy to change uh, a guy like that to change is really to help him understand uh, what has made him successful and why, and how the dis you know how the situation is different today, and 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 what he has to do to to be successful now, and let him come to the conclusion that yes, you know I understand, you know why I've been successful, and this current situation I'm in does not invalidate my success, you know on the other hand I am facing a different environment and there are opportunities for me to learn new skills and to be more successful. So I'm very committed to helping the individual to come to that conclusion because until they make that mind shift, uh, it, it's yes, I can always tell them what to do, but that would only work so far. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a very good point because you want the individual to take ownership of their own growth and development, not because Winston says so, but because they feel that it's going to help them be a better person, a better it, manager. It's that, and also, let's face it, you know, uh, our behavior, you know, is, is, is always an expression of our beliefs. All right, so if we don't change a fundamental belief, no matter how we try to learn different behaviors, it will not come across authentic, and people would see that you know, our action and our beliefs are not aligned. And mm -hmm. that is the whole issue of authenticity and leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, a leader that is not authentic generally does not inspire people to follow him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
what type of methodology do you use or principles do you follow when you're coaching someone? Well, what I, what I try to follow is uh, help them to understand uh, what has made them successful and also help them to understand that there is really more than one way to be successful. You know, it's very interesting. I talked to a lot of leaders, and they would make statements like, this is the way I am, you know, and uh, it's always work. Well, that's true. Uh, I'm glad it's always work. But is it really the way we are? I mean, am, am I born the way I am? Uh, you know, depending on what school of thought you're in, a part of me probably is born the way I am, you know, as part of the genetics and so forth. But more often than not, when it comes to behavior, is from what I've learned in my life experiences and so forth. And, uh, and my argument is if we can learn to behave a certain way, we can unlearn that and learn to behave in a different way if there's a reason to do so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my job is then to help that person to realize that, number one, and number two, to help the person realize that there is a reason to do so. There's a big, big win at the end of the day if you decide to do that, and I'm here to help you to do that. You know, the New York Times every year has a survey on executive leadership mm -hmm. in regards to compensation and tenure. And, and one of the key themes that I've read is that typically the lifespan of a CEO at a company is about three or four years. Actually, even less than that today. Oh, it's even less than that. <laughs> right. Wow. Um, is that because of just the pressures of the office, or does that have something to do with their leadership style or a combination of both? Well, I, I... I think it's all of that, but more importantly today, I think, uh, uh, you know, the market expectation drives what they expect uh, from, the, from the CEO of a company. In other words, uh, the investors and Wall Street, you know, basically uh, has certain expectations in terms of returns and so forth. And that cycle is getting shorter and shorter. You know, they, nobody wants to wait five years for a company to be turned around. Uh, I would say today uh, they will probably give CEO a two-year window to to uh, be able to show some success, you know, in terms of right. numbers and so forth. And if we cannot do that, they're going to find somebody else, and that's just the pressure of the of the expectation from the market. Mm -hmm. Now, not every uh, not every market is that way. You know, the European markets are somewhat different. The Asian markets are somewhat different. But I would say the U.S. market. Our, our expectations are very high, and you know the the our patience maybe maybe that's the word I should use mm -hmm. uh, is very short. Well, with the recent recession that we're currently mm -hmm. still in, and the downsizing that we have seen mm -hmm. of everything in the U.S., do you think that those expectations might be modified a bit to for, for folks to take a more longer view um, and not trying to be so fast? Well, I. Actually, I think it might have been, you know, it, it, it might be just the opposite, you know, because uh, the recession has been so steep and the pace of deterioration has been so fast that uh, the expectations are even higher. In other words, you know, while, you know, while the business is falling through the, the, the floor, nobody wants to wait a year to get mm -hmm. a turnaround. You know, they, they, you know, we, and it's part, part of it is also our culture, you know, uh, in our, you know, it's part of the American culture. We're always looking for the magic bullet, right, you know, and we right. figure, you know, if, if one CEO doesn't work or we can hire somebody else to come in and, you know, sooner or later we get a magic bullet that works. Uh, more often than not, there really is not a magic bullet. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work and a lot of, uh, uh, 
team building and capability building and so on and so forth. And on top of all of that, a little bit of luck too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I like to give you a little sports analogy. The other day I was in Washington, D.C., and I was uh, uh, on a train with a gentleman, and he was complaining about his uh, Redskins. They were losing mm-hmm. to the Giants. And he said, oh, the quarterback, quarterback's awful. I said, well, well maybe it's best to uh, change the quarterback early. He goes, oh, there's no one else to choose from. I said, wow, the NFL can't find a, a good quarterback. But um, that speaks to the point of maybe you do have the right quarterback, but maybe they need to see how they can get everyone to play better together. Well, that's And that all. speaks to leadership. Oh, absolutely. I mean, leadership and, and, and running corporations and so forth is really a team sport. And the higher up you go, the more you realize it's a team sport. I mean, this is really a, an interesting phenomenon. You would think that by the time you get to be the CEO of a company, I mean, you have the ultimate power. You can make things happen. You can, you know, you can move mountains. You can do anything you want to do. You certainly have the power to do all of that. But doing all of that may not make you successful because I've never seen a CEO that has been successful in building a company by just firing people. You know, sooner or later you have to, you know, help people to to enable them to do what it is that they can do and bring the right people. You know, this saying of bringing the right people on the bus, and then uh, and then uh, together decide where to take the bus. There's a lot of wisdom to that, and that comes from Jim Collins' book. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Good to Great. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that a CEO will walk into a position and know exactly what to do. Well, more often than not, uh, they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. They have certain ideas. They have certain assumptions. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, no matter what ideas they have, they need the team to carry it out because a CEO cannot do it. Right. So uh, it, that's really what I learned in the last 10 years of my career when I became CEO of, uh, of companies uh, is that I am really a very helpless individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, as CEO, I can fire somebody, of course, yes. but yes. like I said, you know, I cannot fire people to prosperity. Right. <laughs> uh, the the other thing I can do is I can uh, uh, I can manage a resource. I can put the money in and fund those things that I want to grow, and mm-hmm. I take away the resource from the things I don't want to grow. And part of that resource management, to me. Uh, really has to do with people is mm-hmm. you know building uh, the capability within the corporation through its people to achieve what it is that we we need to achieve not only for today but for tomorrow have you ever ever had an executive uh, that you were required to coach but uh, the executive didn't hire you but maybe the board or uh, the person's direct manager and the person was uh, not really appreciative of being asked to be coached, you ever have one of those situations? Yes, I have. Well, first of all, I'm <clears throat> always hired by the company. I wouldn't say always, but most of my work mm-hmm. for corporations, I'm hired by the company to mm-hmm. coach the executive. I was right. never hired by the executive. Right. And you're right. And uh, you know, some executives are more receptive than others. It all has to do with their self-awareness. In other words, uh, how well do they realize why they're even being coached? And how well do they realize that, you know, that there are consequences if they don't do something? Uh, I have encountered individuals. Um, in fact, most recently I talked to an individual uh, uh, who was considering me as a coach, and the company has uh, hired me, wanted me to talk to him. And uh, my first question to him was, I said, give me a little background of uh, 
your understanding as to why you and I are talking today? I mean, what brought us here today? And he said, well, that's an interesting question, you know. He said, I really don't know, you know. And I said, well, that's interesting that you don't know. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we, we talked for a while, and at the end of the day, uh, he really didn't know. He thought he was doing a great job, and he thought they hired him in order to, uh, you know, prepare him for uh, something bigger and better in the future. Well, he doesn't realize that he actually uh, was at risk. Wow. And um, how did it work out? Well, in that particular case, I'm still working with this individual. I'm okay. about three months into the assignment. But, but yes, very early on, I realized that, uh -huh. wow, unless I can get this individual to realize, one, there are issues he has to address. Otherwise, you know, there are consequences, consequences. to yes. that. And two, really, you know, it, he's the one who has to come to that conclusion whether or not he wants to address these issues and whether or not he wants to undertake the, the work to do so. So uh, what I decided to do was to confront him again with the realities. We had a number of uh, assessments done, but more importantly, uh, I did extensive interviews with uh, people around him. And I had to sit down, you know, had a very um, brutal kind of a debriefing session to play back to him, you know, this is how people are experiencing you. You know, this is how effective or ineffective you are mm -hmm. in what you're doing, regardless of what you think. And this is the impact of your behavior. Uh, you decide whether or not this is right or wrong for you, and you decide whether or not you want to change. And uh, how did he respond to that? What was his uh, reaction? He was shocked. Uh, mm -hmm. He was shocked uh, at the data. And, uh, and interestingly enough, you know, as human beings, we develop a, uh, a, a strong defense mechanism when we are mm -hmm. faced with uh, bad news. You know, we tend to uh, rationalize it. You know, we tend to say, oh, I know exactly who says that because of so and so, and I guarantee you over half the time uh, we're wrong. Right, uh, right. Because right. we have a preconceived idea as to who's against us and who's for us and so forth. And more often than not, when we have bad news, we tend to attribute uh, the problem to somebody else or to somewhere else, like the environment. Like, you know, I really had a terrible boss, or the company culture is awful, or I got colleagues that are just uh, not committed to the job, and so on and so forth. Now, very seldom do we say, yeah, really, you know, I'm the one who's the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what we, we have to do in, 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 in working with a person like that is to confront him or her with the facts and then try to really, uh, through a lot of discussion and reasoning and whatever, to, 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 to sort of focus on the fact that they are the problem, you know, and, and, and not everything else. Now, now, let's be honest, you know, the world's not perfect. You know, people around us have problems too, just like we do. Uh, the question then becomes, uh, what can you control and what can you not control? For example, you know, the, right now uh, we are led to believe we have a global warming problem. There's probably something I as an individual can do to help with that problem, but I certainly am in no way to solve the problem. I can talk about it from now, you know, till the day I die, sure. and it probably makes good rhetoric, but it's not right. going to change a thing. Or I can look at myself and say, what can I do, right. you know, to change right. me? Right, and and that's really uh, what we try to do is, mm -hmm. is to help people to understand what they can control and what they cannot, 
and let's work on the things you can control to make a difference. And what are the key lessons that you think this individual is learning through this process of self-discovery? Well, what, what he seems to be learning at this time is that he realized that there is a, a, a big gap between his perception of himself and the way people experience him. And this gap is developed because uh, he, he has very poor listening skills. And the reason why he has very poor listening skills is because he was so convinced of his success and the rightness of his ways that he just shut off listening, you know. And, uh, and that's one of the things that I would, uh, I would uh, say to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to continue to open our minds to listening. And uh, it's so easy for us to have a preconceived idea that we are right. Mm-hmm. You know, and the higher up we are, the, the, the more we are convinced we are right or we wouldn't be there. You know, so so this is the difficulty. You know, we we you know, we're in a position of responsibility. We got there because we've done a lot of things right. We have a lot of experience behind us. We're paid to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're paid to make a decision. On the other hand, we also have to have the judgment to say, gee, I really have to listen. I have to bring in the rest of the people to make sure that I get the best idea to make sure I get uh, uh, reliable feedback to make sure that I am not leading the team into into a trap that uh, that, that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you measure success as an executive coach? Well, I think the, the real measurement of success for an executive coach at the end of the day has to be business results. Now, it's great to say that, well, you know, uh, you know, after you've been co- coaching Joe for a year, Joe is a lot nicer person. Well, that's wonderful. But if Joe's a nicer person, uh, but the business results doesn't change in his organization, then that really defeats the purpose, at least from a business point of view, as to why they would invest mm-hmm. in coaching. So I would say that uh, uh, the measurement at the end of the day has to do with uh, with business results. Now. Business results can be me- measured many different ways. You know, for example, if I walk into a situation, and at the end of the day, we realize that that individual is totally, totally not a good fit for that company, they end up parting company. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a positive result. It's a win-win. For, you know, it's a win for the individual. It's a win for the company. Mm-hmm. So you know, so we need to ad- identify what you know, uh, what constitutes good business results. Mm-hmm. And I remember a particular uh, measurement that you use called the RIO, Responsibilities, mm-hmm. Indicators, Objectives. Could you share with our audience how you use that tool to measure success? Well, you know, the RIO is, is a document that I've learned from, uh, from a mentor of mine many, uh, many moons ago. And it really starts with a broad understanding of a person's responsibility. Uh, for example, for most jobs, we can probably have about half a dozen of responsibilities, you know, and these responsibilities usually are general, not to say that uh, uh, I'm responsible for $5 million worth of sales, uh, you know, uh, it would not be that specific. The responsibility would be that I'm responsible for, you know, for uh, uh, sales or, or for, you know, for a certain market position mm-hmm. or whatever. And then in that responsibility, in that list of responsibilities, we also have uh, have include things like you know developing the uh, the team and building the capability mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. 
And then within each of these responsibility areas, we tend to then have uh, an objective, you know, what are we trying to do? You know, and that usually is, you know, manifests itself in, uh, in uh, some kind of a number. For example, when it comes to sales, that could be, um, you know, $5 million or whatever. And then what is the indicator? You know, in other words, how do we, how do we measure success in sales? Do we only measure revenue? Do we measure margin? Uh, do we measure market share? What it is that we measure? I mean, you know, there's a number of ways we can measure. I mean, I worked with a CEO at one time, and, and his, his objective is to be the biggest uh, manufacturer of a particular product in the world. Well, with that, with that uh, strategy and with uh, very little, you know, very uh, well-defined measurement, uh, that company got into a lot of trouble because uh, they ended up getting into market segments that they don't belong, mm-hmm. market segments that were not profitable. So it's very important for us to define how we're going to measure something, you know, and what it is that we're shooting for. Have you ever had an opportunity where the coaching session just didn't work? Where the individual did not achieve their objectives? Yes. Yes, and that happens, and we try to avoid that. And, 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 and the way we try to avoid that is very early on in the coaching assignment, we try to assess something called coachability. Yeah. Okay, how coachable is the individual? Yeah. And coachability is, you know, some things can be defined and some are, are much tougher to define, but a number of factors um, contribute to the coachability of an individual. For example, uh, how strong is the executive's ego? If the ex- executive has a strong ego that he's the greatest and he knows more than anybody else and he just absolutely is not willing to listen, then that person is not coachable. Mm-hmm. Um, I have individuals that are not open to feedback. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Whatever anybody tells him or her, uh, he either rejects it or he rejects the person who is telling him, to, giving him the feedback, or he rationalizes it, you know. So if we're not able to overcome that, that person is not coachable. Um, how well does the individual uh, understand the situation? For example, does the individual realize his job is really on the line? Mm-hmm. You know, if he or she doesn't realize it or doesn't believe that, then it's very hard to coach. You know, does the executive trust the coach? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If he or she doesn't trust the coach, then there's no way the coach can really be effective. So there's a whole host of factors that govern what I call coachability. And what I try to do uh, very early on, I would say within the first uh, two or three sessions, is to si- try to size up how, you know, how coachable this individual is. And if in my judgment this individual is not coachable or very marginally coachable, uh, I've, I have an obligation to make that known mm-hmm. to the people who hire me to do the coaching. Right. And I would actually sit down with them and say, this is my assessment at this time. I don't think the individual is coachable, or I would say to them, this individual is marginally coachable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it probably takes a lot more than six months or whatever, and I really you know cannot guarantee the results. And I want to you know be honest with you up front. If you mm-hmm. want to call it quits now, fine. If you don't, you know we can both work together and give it our best effort. But understand, this is the risk. So we try to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, let's face it, coaching is not for everyone. And 
all of us have a time and a place when we are open to that kind of coaching. Right. And if the time and the place is not right, uh, there's no point in, in trying to do that. You know, let's face it, I cannot force any change on anybody. Right, 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 right. Uh, did you ever have a situation where it didn't work out, but the individual had a change of heart and la later came back and said, I'm ready, and, uh, and they invited you back in and you were able to turn it around? Uh, I only had one situation like that. Uh, the individual was not ready. Uh, uh, and, and the reason why he was not ready was he really didn't didn't appreciate how you know how serious a problem he has. He also didn't appreciate how I could help him. Mm -hmm. And so based on that, I, I said, look, you know there, there really is no reason for us to continue this because it's, it's not going to, uh, produce any results right. and we parted on pretty good company uh -huh. and uh, about a year year and a half later I got a call from this individual and I think you know as he got deeper into his new job and so forth he realized a lot of the things we talked about mm -hmm. uh, were were correct right you know so time and experience uh, help him to realize that, gee, maybe, you know, I do need to work on some of these things. Right. <laughs> you know? So he came back and, and he became much more open. And mm -hmm. this is that coachability thing. You know, he was right. ready right. a year right. and a half later, a year and a half right. ago, he was not ready. Right. And how is he doing today? He's doing good, good. doing very good. And we continue to uh, communicate, you know, continue to, uh, um, you know, meet periodically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the emerging themes that you see in the leadership uh, space over the last couple of years, especially with the recession? Are there, there are some characteristics that you're seeing in leadership that are more prevalent and more important today than what they were before? I think the, uh, what I have seen uh, with the clients that I have recently is much more focus on producing business results much quicker Mm -hmm. uh, and much more focus on building the team, realizing that, uh, uh, you know, that running a business really is a mm -hmm. team sport. Uh, probably less uh, emphasis on uh, the individual. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I see emerging is that in the coaching business, I would say 10, 15 years ago, we were brought in to do a lot of what we call remedial coaching. In other words, somebody is already in trouble, and you know, just so that we can face our conscience right. before we terminate the individual, mm -hmm. let's bring in a coach and see what he can do. You right. know, if he can't right. do it, then we right. can at least say to ourselves, "Well, gee, you know, we've done everything we could have done." Right. Uh, today, uh, much less of that. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, when an individual gets to that point, the, the company would just uh, take action. Yep. But more and more, our coaching work now is on developmental coaching. In other words, we're coaching somebody to, uh, to help them to gain the capability and the skills necessary for future assignments. So it's much more of that, getting people ready. And again, I think this is driven by the fact that we expect people to hit the deck and running uh, and produce results a lot quicker. So we're willing to invest in those that have the potential early on before they actually get into the role. 
I, I, I do read a lot about where coaching in, in the United States, I guess back in early 2000, was considered to be a problem for an individual. If you were being coached, uh, there must be something wrong That's with right. you. Uh, however, in Europe, it was, it was considered to be a perk. Now mm -hmm. I'm starting to hear that and read that leadership uh, coaching is, uh, is a perk. And it's like, wow, if you're chosen to have an executive coach, you're special. Are you, are you experiencing that? Oh, yeah. Well, this goes back to, to what I told you earlier. You know, uh, the, at the beginning of the coaching uh, cycle, uh, most companies focused on remedial coaching, like right. I said, fixing a problem yeah. child. Right. Uh, today, much less of that and much more realizing that, you know, what the pace of change that we are dealing with uh, in business, in the world today, mm -hmm. uh, even the best and the brightest need some help in order to be productive. And, and the, the other thing is also recognizing that your know, life is a journey of continuous learning. Right. You right. know, I guess a lot of us didn't realize that when the world wasn't moving as fast. I mean, I'm sure uh, our parents' generation, you know, uh, I, I know my father-in-law uh, got out of school and he got a job with uh, AT&T and he spent his whole life working for AT&T, virtually in the same job. And mm -hmm. to him, that was success. Well, I guess, you know, at the time uh, for him, that was success. Uh, but those jobs don't exist anymore. Right. You know, look at the right. look at the change in the telecommunication industry. Yes. You know, yes. So, uh, so, so no longer can we just go to school and learn something and being able to go out and, and and sell, you know, what it is that we, we right. learn or we right. can do and be able to contribute, uh, you know, for the rest of our career. So more and more now we are looking for people that, uh, that have the potential to learn. Well, Winston, I want to thank you again for your time and expertise on the subject of leadership. And I hope you come back and visit with us in the future. I would love to. Thank you very much. This is your host, Darrell Gunter. And please join us next week as we continue our discussion on leadership and leadership styles. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great day.